Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and once again, I'm joined by Lindy Houston, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. Can you please tell us about our topic and guest for this episode? Hi, Grant. Um, yes, it's really good to be here again on a Friday, a sunny Friday in Sydney. And once again, we are talking about plastic packaging. Plastic packaging, especially soft plastics, has been under in intense scrutiny, as you know, um, with a lot of collaborative work underway in our industry currently to try to develop efficient collection and recycling infrastructure with the ultimate goal in mind to create circular solutions for the material. It's a very complex material, soft plastics. But at the same time, development in compostable material is advancing apace. And uh, some very exciting things coming through in that space. So with us in the studio today, I'm happy to present Shane Sullivan. He's the Vice President Asia Pacific for a company called TEPA. Welcome to the podcast, Shane. Thanks, Lily. Great to be here. So let's start with Compostable Packaging 101. Tell me what Compostable Packaging is, or tell the audience, and what it is not. It's a really good question. Uh, I think we're in a really exciting space in the, the industry overall because I think we're all aligned on the fact that we, we need to get creative and start looking at alternatives and work together to find those solutions that fit into the circular economy. So compostable packaging, it's basically packaging that goes into compostable conditions um, with water, oxygen, carbon, nitrogen, all the little worms and microorganisms that get in there and do their job. And the plastic will break down. The biggest problem we have with plastics is that someone will say it's biodegradable. Well, everything's biodegradable because it would break down, but it might take 500 years. In the right conditions that that, um, we want our product to go in, it can completely disappear in uh, 90 days. It's gone. It starts to break down in 28 days into smaller pieces, and then it's gone. And it goes into compost that can be used back onto the soil that uh, our crops are grown in. So in terms of... Uh, circular economy, it's, it's one of the few solutions in marketplace that actually has start to finish. We, we know it's got end of life. Um, it's got to be in the right conditions, but we know it's got end of life and can uh, help us fight the problems that we face. Well, right conditions, therein lies the rub because what are those right conditions? Home composting, industrial composting. I think there's a lot of confusing uh, terminology out there for consumers and particularly in this time when we are having heightened scrutiny on greenwashing, I think there really needs to be clarity around this. Can you tell me uh, about your products relative to home composting and industrial composting? Yep, our product in Australia, we have a home composting certification via the Australian Bioplastics Association. We're working on getting industrial as well. Um, it's a really interesting time and a good question to ask about certification and greenwashing and what can be done. Um, our product that we're running in Australia at the moment, if you've got a home compost, which is a growing industry at a rate of knots, and I've certainly got one, um, if our products go into your home compost, um, they can break down, like I said before, 
they need to be turned and have oxygen and some food waste in there. Um, and depending on, and this, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on this, depending on where you are located in Australia, there is the possibility that compostable packaging can go into your curbside bin and be collected. South Australia's got that infrastructure in place for industrial composting. So the difference is, basic, is obviously whether it's in home conditions, done at your home, or whether it's taken away and done in a council facility or a commercial facility. They're the two differences. Okay, so if you're... Packaging is home compostable. Let's, I'm, I'm going to picture a bread bag now. It's marked, yep. it's got, it's certified home compostable. Can it go into industrial composting as well? It can in certain states. And I think we'll touch on this, I'm sure, in more detail, but I compare the, the recycling legislation about what you can do is very dependent on where you live. Um, it's a bit like when we were in COVID, we had every state had different conditions of what could happen and what you could do. And that's similar to recycling. I know in South Australia, all 19 uh, metro councils, I think it's 14 regional, have the ability for um, certified, even if it's home compostable, can go into their curbside collection and be taken away and made into compost. Now, there's certain pockets around the country of, of councils that allow that, but it's very dependent on where you live at the moment. It doesn't matter if it goes into home cost composting or industrial composting. Let's assume that both are available. It can go into either and it will break down. At the moment, because we've only got the home compostable certification, I know it will do it home compostable, but in South Australia, they will take the home compostable certification and put it into industrial conditions. There is a difference and it needs to be worked on. So your product then, if it is sold in another state, what happens with that? Good question. I compare our product to, it's similar to when cars were invented in the 19th century. There wasn't roads, there wasn't petrol stations, there wasn't the infrastructure in place. Now we're using electric cars more. We don't have the infrastructure fully in place, but if it aligns with people's values and they believe it's the thing to do for them now, they're going to adopt that technology early. Um, compostable packaging is similar. If you're in, I would advise people to check with their local council about what can be done and where it can go because it does vary from state to state, like I said. But if your council doesn't have curbside collection, it can obviously go into home composting. Um, a lot of councils have waste centres that things can be dropped off at. That, and again, that's council specific. But there's also great innovations out there, things like Compost Connect, which is um, a biopack website, a website run by biopack, where you can put your address in and it will bring up the nearest point where I might have registered my home as someone, hey, hey I'll take um, your food waste and I'll take compostable packaging and I'll put that into my home um, composting. Or there might be a restaurant nearby that does it where you can go and drop off. There is options out there for people to use if um, their council doesn't allow it. Obviously, home compostables um, a way to go. But if people believe in it and people uh it aligns with their values, there's absolutely ways that they can contribute to the circular economy via compostable packaging. So you can see then how a consumer is faced with quite a few dilemmas. So, And what we want yep. to get to is we need to reduce the, the friction points. So you don't want to yes. be standing in front of the shelf and going, okay, so this is the bread brand I like. but yes. And um, I don't have home composting and my council doesn't do it. Now, this bread brand that I like has put itself into a compostable bread bag. So yep. what are my choices now? Do I buy that brand or do I buy a brand? Now, let's just assume we know that currently yep. Red Cycle is um, collapsed, but yep. something else is going to come forward. Either it will be curbside or – but now you see what the consumer is going, oh, my gosh, it's too hard. Let me just not eat bread. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's a valid point. And this, is, this isn't a problem that only lies in the compostable mm. side of things. It's recycling in general. Um, I think that we're at a real touch point where it feels like coming out of COVID, everyone now has got a more uh, heightened sense of wanting to do the right thing and contribute to society and actually do things that, you know what, it might only be my 1%, but I'm making a difference. Yeah. When that person's standing in front of the, the bread aisle and trying to figure out what bread they want to take home to make their toasted sandwiches, that's their decision. That's their decision. If they, Like I said before, if they do want to use compostable packaging, there's absolutely ways that they can contribute to the circular economy using that. But that aligns to – that comes back to personal values of what people see. But I do think we have a, a, a big challenge on our hands to educate the public about recycling, what it is, what it isn't. Um, the food waste issue, that's one that I feel like industry, and I include our brand in it, uh, industry across the board, hasn't really alerted the public to the issue of food waste going into landfill. Well, I think that in a broad media uh, sort of a, a media campaign, could be t- more could be done. But let me tell you, there are a lot of bodies working very hard. Um, the Food Waste CRC, um, the Australian Institute of Packaging, doing a lot of work on raising awareness, certainly also within the industry so that people design to prevent food waste. A lot of it starts at the design level, as you know, even when it comes to developing and selecting a compostable packaging material. So um, I have a quick question, though, about a home composting system because you said you have one. Um, I don't have one right now. I had one many years ago, and I just found it couldn't keep pace with the amount of, at the time, I had a, a full family living with me. Um, yep. So how do you, if you're using compostable salad bags, bread bags, and other materials, and you say it takes 90 days to break down, plus you're putting your food waste in there, how do you have space in that home composting system? And that's, a, again, a good, good question. It's I certainly know in some of the European countries, as we go to higher density living and we create uh, apartment blocks on top of each other, I think in Italy it's now required that if you have uh, high density dwellings that you have to have some uh, communal composting facilities. I think that's something that we will look at further here uh, as industry develops. Uh, On a home basis, I always go back to your bread bag question of, uh, if someone's at home in the middle of winter and their bread bag's empty and they put their food scraps in it, where does it go? Where do they take it outside when they walk out to the side of their house? If they've got the options of putting it in the curbside bin or going in their home composting, it dep- and again, it all goes back to a family size. If you've got a family of 12, I'm sure that's a challenging <laughs> problem. Uh, if you've got a regular family and you're putting your food waste in there, you're minimising your mm-hmm. food waste, any compostable plastic is going in there and you're turning it regularly and tending to it. I, I compare it to tending your compost is like tending your garden. Mm. There is a process involved. You need to be turning it. You need to do the right things. But if you are doing those right things and your food waste is, again, an average family size, you don't need too big of a equipment range to use it. So it can be done. It's not that challenging. And if you are turning it regularly, our product starts to break down in you know, 28 to 30 days. So if it's breaking down, and when I say it completely breaks down in 90 days, that's gone, mm. but it will break down. So after 28 days, more compostable plastic can go in there. And also at the moment, there's a oh, this is this is a blessing, um, an opportunity that we see. There is limited compostable packaging out there in the marketplace as it is. So I don't think there's going to be 
too much of it where every single product that you have in, in your pantry and in the kitchen is required to go into it as it is. Okay. Well, thank you for um, giving me some tips there. <laughs> it's certainly, I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that my local council will soon be having a FOGO bin uh, collection because I believe whether it's soft plastics collection generally, curbside is the way to go. As Australians, we are really conditioned to do good curbside recycling. So hopefully that will come to pass soon. Okay. So let's talk about TIPA. Who, what, where, how? Tell me all the bits about Tipa. Yeah, we, we have a really relatable story. We were found in, in 2010. Uh, we're an Israeli-based company, Daphne Nissenbaum, uh, our founder. Uh, a really relatable problem that I think it spans over every single country across the world. She got frustrated at how much plastic was going in her kid's lunchbox. And he was continually losing his drink bottle and she was replacing things. And she got frustrated with that, which is a problem that I think we all face. We all see over packaging where we get uh, a vegetable and it's got three layers on it. We go, well, why does it need that? Why does it need that? That goes back to the design point you raised before. So off the back of that, Daphna uh, began researching plastics about what could be done, developed the version one of what TIPA was and started producing plastics uh, our version of plastics in 2011, 2012. We went into Europe in the middle of this decade, followed into North America, and then came into um, Australia just before COVID hit, actually, just before the pandemic came through. But the, the whole concept of what we want to do, uh, our compostable plastic, if we, if we went to the street, if you and I went to the street and gave – 100 people, uh, a compostable bread bag and a normal bread bag, they probably can't tell the difference because our product is designed um, to perform exactly the same as, as virgin plastics. So it's got all the same properties as it. Uh, our vision is to have the same end of life as organic matter for our product. That's the difference. Uh, we still want to maintain the qualities of conventional plastics uh, that consumers and brands value and rely on. And even though... Plastic has got a, a, a problem with end of life. Some of what it does is remarkable and some of what it can do in, in looking after our foods and protecting it is quite remarkable. So our product's designed to do the good things that it, that it can do but also have a certified end of life and work with the existing machinery that um, brands have out there um, already. So explain to me your business model because I understand that here in Australia you have partnered with Amcor as your converter. Um, explain how that works. So we, we run a fabulous model where we, we don't own any production assets. When we go into a region and we're, and we're looking to establish a presence, we will go, right, who, who can produce our, our product? Who can make our product? Who has the infrastructure? Who has the capacity? And we go back to our food thing, which seems to be prevalent. We'll supply the ingredients. They'll cook the meal. They'll make our product. So we go into a region and find who's the best partner for us to do that. And in Australia, we've identified with Amcor, who are obviously a global brand, uh, great reach in the marketplace that we're working with them to make our product. They're always at the forefront of looking for environmental um, solutions, a, a bit like us. We, we share values in that there's no one solution to solve the plastic mm -hmm. crisis that we have. Um, and I want to be clear on that too. We don't see ourselves as the solution that can solve all the problems that we face, but 
compostable packaging could certainly play a bigger role in lessening the amount of plastics that goes into existing infrastructure, reducing food waste and becoming a larger part of that circular economy. And I think without speaking for them, that's that, that's something that aligns with what AMCOR want to do as well. Yes, yeah, certainly we've seen them um, have a multi-pronged approach when it comes to developing technology, whether it's through advanced recycling, mechanical recycling, creating different paper-based flexible materials as well. Yes. So they do have a, a very um, innovative and open-minded approach to that, multiple solutions. Now, you ha- also mentioned to me earlier when we were chatting before, Sean, that you've just had your first onshore production run developed by Amcor. Tell me about that. In January, we produced uh, six to eight tonnes of commercial grade, uh, various thickness um, of our product with Amcor. It sounds like I'm starting to tell you a joke, but we had uh, we had some of the Tipper uh, team come on shore. So we had uh, an Israeli, we had a German, we had an Italian, and at one stage I was with them, and we did walk into a bar. But it was <laughs> fantastic to um, bring our expertise on shore, and that's one of the things that we really we want to do when we go into a region and partner with someone. It's not a simple um, transactional relationship. We want to share knowledge. And, and to your point before about um, Amcor working with uh, advanced recycling and fibre-based things, looking at all different alternatives, I think as an industry, that's something that we probably have to do more is share information because we're not – the only thing we're competing for is to take plastics out of the environment, which is a great concept. So we don't have to be direct uh, opponents in marketplace I think we need to work together and share where we can and share knowledge of process and what we think. Um, I think recently I attended a workshop with APCO in January about how to make compostable packaging a more uh, relevant part of the circular economy. And it was great. We had stakeholders from local governments, state governments, uh, the major supermarkets, uh, Amcor, myself, other converters. It was a really good time to get in the room and go, right, what are the barriers that are holding it back? Mm-hmm. So I think the big thing that we want to do is now that we're on shore is work with all these stakeholders and I'm already engaging with a lot of them uh, departments, but the more that we actually get in a room, and I think COVID probably slowed it down. We all love teams and we all love um, the functionality of it, but it's not great for creativity or getting in a room and actually brainstorming. So it was fantastic to work with APCO and get in the room with people who see what compostable packaging can be and how we can work together to make it a larger part of the circular economy. So I've got several questions coming out of all of that. But first I want to ask, going back to that production run, so what is that material going to be used for? What's the application? Sure. So we produced um, our Tipper 303. Um, That can be used in multiple applications across food and fashion. Um, the, the applications that we've used so far, we've done bread bags. We already have cu- existing customers in Australia like r Smith. We produce their apple bags. Um, we're doing banana bags. Uh, we've done some organic chocolates. The myriad of what we can do, if it's available in conventional plastic uh, for food packaging, we're, we're here to discuss it and, and say, right, we can do that as well. So the applications, I mean, the real common ones are your wicketed bags, your pouches, your flow wrap. Um, but anyone who's in the food space who is using flexible packaging, yeah, let's have a conversation and see if we can come up with a solution. 
And then going back to the APCO meeting, which sounds like it was a great gathering and um, think tank, what what did you, when you left that meeting, how did you feel? What were the key takeouts um, and the next steps? Yeah, good questions. How did I feel? I was really uplifted because it's probably uh, the whole purpose of it coming out of it is we understand that it, that compostable packaging has to play a bigger role in the circular economy and there's a need for it. We know that brand owners um, are keen to use it. We know that um, um, consumers are interested in the process um, of what compostable packaging is, how it can be used. But the major goal of it coming out of it was to find a way that compostable packaging can play an effective role in the circular economy. How do we remove the barriers? How do we make it easier for um, all of those people that we mentioned, but also uh, producers, uh, recyclers, how do we make it a more viable part of the circular economy to take some of the pressure off our existing infrastructure? So you talk about the barriers. What are the main barriers? Yeah, I think the the inconsistency between uh, states and the the jurisdictions, uh, like we touched on before, uh, we want to look for a working model. We've got one across the border from me in South Australia. Uh, I mean, South Australia has been renowned for years as being progressive on all environmental issues. When people say to me, oh, it's hard, there's this barrier, there's this barrier, I go, I acknowledge all that, but we've got a working model. So I think we need to work with our South Australian counterparts and understand how they got to that point and what they see the advantage of. There's obviously issues around processing. Uh, We need to clear up the confusion for consumers. Uh, We need to collect the infrastructure gaps and see what we can do. How How do we make it more viable? How do we make it easier for everyone? Because like I said, we don't see ourselves as the silver bullet. We don't see ourselves as the solution that's going to make the plastics problem go away. But we can lessen the reliance on existing infrastructure, which we know is already struggling. So you you mentioned um, the apple bags and bread bags. So you're quite active in the food industry, obviously. Yep. What about the fashion sector? You you did touch on that. What applications do you have there? So a global brand, I'll, I'll touch on Scotch and Soda, mm-hmm. fantastic fashion house coming out of Amsterdam. Um, if we went online now and purchased a pair of jeans, the package and they turn up in would be ours. So we're doing garment bags. Um, we also are looking at things like when you go to get something dry cleaned and it comes back in the plastic there, um, the full suit or the full dress type uh, garment bags there. We're talking about any type of uh, packaging that fashion goes out, e-commerce brands that are using mailers, um, we, we, there's compostable mailers out there. We're currently working on, on something for ourselves as well. We do um, some versions of that. Um, basically, anything that in the fashion side of things that goes out that is sent out in plastic, we'd want to have a discussion about. But the jeans and the garment bags, um, are, are the jeans example I touched on with Scotch and Soda, that's a really relevant one. We're doing some work with Levi's now, um, globally looking to see if we can... Um, partner up with them. So fashion is a good one as well because it also gives us cut through in popular culture. Uh, it's something that, and especially for brands that are that are pitching to younger generations, it's more important now about what you're doing as a brand from an environmental standpoint, from sustainability, from um, corporate responsibility. That's becoming more and more prevalent with, with generations that are coming through. So the fashion side of that, the fashion brands see that as a, a point of difference in marketplace. 
and that's something that right now with with compostable packaging being in its uh, early stages, brands who do adopt it have a real point of difference in marketplace. Mm. And that's the key. That's the key. If brands are adopting it, they need to understand why they're doing it, aligns with their values, but they need to be proud of it and shout it from the rooftops about they're doing the right thing. And we also need to to get away from this uh, idea that going green and doing the right thing by the environment doesn't give you the opportunity to grab market share and be a bigger force. Yeah. The two can work together. They're not pulling apart. They're not um, concepts that are, that are never going to go together. And that's the opportunity that fashion brands and food brands have got now. Be an innovator, be an early adopter and grab market share from what you're doing. Well, speaking of market share, your job is to grow cheaper in Australia. <laughs> so Absolutely. what are your next steps? So uh, we want to build out. We want to grow. We want to get more staff. Um, we're currently in market looking for a sales director. Uh, we've got plans to grow here. We want to work with uh, Amcor to develop um, our brand in market. Um, like I said, they've been great to work with. We've been talking to numerous brands that not only are our own, that we're bringing on shore to them, but also within their portfolio as well. Um, we want to be an active part of policy. We want to talk to all the stakeholders that are involved and really be and I know it's cliche, but a force for good and a force for change. Because we, everyone knows the problem. We don't need to see any more pictures of plastic on beaches. We don't need to, to be shocked. I think we're past that point of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Now it's about, right, Do like what APCO did was fantastic. Let's get in a room. Let's identify the barriers. Let's develop a roadmap to get us out of where we are. There's no, and like I keep saying over and over again, there is no one solution that is going to solve everything. But we can make gains. We can take plastic out of what's going to landfill. We can reduce the amount of food waste that's going to landfill. Uh, We can hopefully see more investment from government in infrastructure to allow us to do more. I think there's – it's the time where if we all improve 1% every day and we're all trying to come up with solutions, we'll see results. We'll see results that can be improved. But like I said, we have to work together as well. Yeah, certainly. And, um, well, thank you very much. Thank you very, very much, Shane, for coming to share your your side of the story, uh, for telling us more in more detail what compostable packaging can deliver to a circular economy and also what it cannot at this point in time. Uh, we are aware that there are many challenges across the soft plastics recycling and development infrastructure, but certainly if we have a multi-pronged approach, this could be a, a good way forward. So I'm looking forward to seeing some more developments from TIPA. Please do keep us informed of any exciting stories and any news that you might have. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for chat. Really enjoyed it. Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks, Lindy. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can like us on iTunes as this helps others discover our show. Meanwhile, we'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion, but until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au.
You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.